Let's pass out the scriptures. We're going to be in John 15 this morning, John chapter 15. If you have a Bible, open it up. If you don't, raise your hand. These lovely folks will get you one. John chapter 15. Now, I apologize, I missed last week. Uh, I, I don't do a lot of weddings uh, anymore just because it, life's getting kind of busy and our, our staff is equipped to do weddings and um, funerals as well. Um, I, I did two weddings and a funeral. Um, I did Ryan Hatcher's wedding up in Truckee and he asked that I come. And uh, for those of you who don't know Ryan, he was, we'd, we'd won the primary campaign. Republican Party didn't want anything to do with us. Finally, in the general election, they decided they were going to help us, but they, they would only help us if they would uh, assign their own campaign manager because uh, they wanted to set us straight on how to do things right. And so they sent down a campaign manager uh, who was going to, you know, it was like a, a task that only the best could do to deal with this right-wing, fundamentalist, evangelical, you know, fire-breathing nightmare. <laughs> and as Ryan described it, he gave his testimony um, to a Christian Broadcasting Network. Ryan was the one they sent down from Sacramento. He, sat, he said, within five minutes of sitting down, I knew that the folks in Sacramento had no idea who this man was nor his staff. He said, it was one of the most amazing uh, experiences I had. And he said, it, it changed my life. And Don Wildrum had the privilege to lead Ryan to Christ. And he said, my life has been forever changed. And, um, and he gives his testimony around the country. Um, and, and so Ryan said, you know, Rob, would you come and officiate my wedding? And I, I couldn't turn him down, so I said, I would. And then he said, well, will you stay over and minister to my family? I said, I would. I mean, I love to do that, but I, I, I hate being out of the pulpit on Sundays. But I, I did that for Ryan, and, um, and it was a, a wonderful time and to hear them asking questions because they'd seen such a, a dramatic change in Ryan's life. And it was, it was really a powerful weekend, and I'm, I'm grateful that you all gave me the opportunity to do that. And uh, I hear Zach did a great job on discipleship, so we're blessed. Amen. Uh, and then, as you all know, we had the uh, presidential debates at the Reagan Library and uh, had a chance to meet some of the candidates and events that we've been doing around the country in Israel and things like that, and make friends with some of them. And Kelly Paul... Um, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul's wife, asked if we could put together a, a book signing event. So we did a breakfast at the Stone House in uh, Westlake Village and had our books there available. We had limited space for 30, and um, folks signed up. I was bummed that uh, some of the folks signed up didn't go because we had a waiting list. And it just, it next, just listen, if you sign up for a limited space something or other, go. And if you don't go, call us. Can I get an Amen. All right, no guilt, no condemnation, just don't do it again, okay? Okay? Bless you, bless you all. Bless you, sweet little we still, we still filled it up and had a wonderful time there. She was deeply blessed. She's a lovely Christian woman. Uh, and then um, in the evening, we set up an event for Senator Ted Cruz at uh, Gino's Bistro. And so that went till, I don't know, midnight or something. And it was interesting to meet him and have some of our folks get a chance to meet him, and I thought the debates were great. It was a lot of fun to watch, and um, just because I'm hosting a dinner doesn't mean I'm voting for somebody or endorsing them in that regard. Uh, I have my choices, and if you ever want to know, I'd be more than happy to tell you. Um, but it was, it was wonderful to be engaged in that and see how our community came together. Um, 
But I want to share one more thing before we get into the Word, and it sets up the Word. So I was sitting in a football game um, at Newberry Park High School. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> and God bless you too, Lou. Principal of Thousand Oaks High School. Here. And, and it's going to be a good game, T.O. and Newberry, although I think T.O. is going to... Uh, we're three and three. Can we get with the? Okay, <laughs> shut up. All right. So I was at this one football game. It was the very first one of the season, and uh, and we're in there and and listening to a parent stand up and berate the the coaches and berate the the players and foul mouth and awful. And then two men who've been involved in the program for a long period of time stood up, and they're a pretty no, uh, high position in our city. And they stood up and said, "Hey, come on, watch your mouth." and engaging, you want to, you know, and wanting to fight. And it was just awful. And I, I'm looking, and I'm just thinking, this is not why we do this. And it grieved me. And, and in the process of it, I thought, how do we get the presence of Christ in the midst of this chaos? How do we get the presence of Christ in the midst of this chaos? And you, you pick any issue you have, whether it's immigration, whether, whatever issue, how do we get Christ in the midst of this chaos? What do we do? And so I called these two guys. I said, first thing you need to do is you, you, they, they, they had already formulated they were going to sit down with the principal and they'd apologize and the other person apologized. They came and they, they found unanimity and, and they put their differences aside. How do we move forward? Uh, and, and one of the books I read is, is uh, Seasons of Life. It's a story about a football program that subtly infused the, the strength of Christ within this program. And one of the things that they do before every game is the coaches say to the boys, uh, what, is, what is our job, boys? And they said, Coach, coaches, your job is to love us. And then he says, and what's your job, boys? Our, our job is to love each other. And all of a sudden, this entire program that used to be a losing program has never lost the game. And even when they have, they, it, it's, just a, it's an amazing community that has established young men to, to strengthen that community. And that's the purpose of these, these, these sports activities, is to raise solid men and solid women to, to participate in our community. And so sat down with these two guys. I said, I want you to draw out a plan on how we get to that place where this program is going to develop young men. And, and, and so these are things that we've been doing in the community. This is stuff that we want to establish. And I share this because we're going to see in John chapter 15 that Jesus is going to talk about uh, vines and he's going to talk about pruning and he's going to talk about fruit and he's going to talk 10 times in this passage he's going to use the word abide and then he's going to go through at the closing portions of, of 15 he's going to talk about uh, if you love me you'll obey me and 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 he says I, I command you this is my commandment that you love one another and he goes through this entire picture of of a vineyard <clears throat> and it's a fascinating picture and we're going to take a look at it this morning and how it applies to us as citizens in our community and how it applies to us as believers and what God wants from us and what he wants us to do. So would you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, please? John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus speaking. He said, I am the true vine, and my, va- my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Excuse me. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. You know what that means in the Greek? If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they're burned at a barbecue with the church. (laughs) So if you don't want to serve, we can use you as firewood. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Where were we? Okay. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, and you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear fruit or much fruit so you will be my disciples. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. Lord, we are the vines. You are You are the one that we're to abide in. And so, God, I ask that you would minister to us. Holy Spirit, you'd lead us into all truth. We thank you for the work you're doing in our lives and continue to do. And, Lord, when we hear the word pruning, it sounds painful. But God, I pray that you'd reveal that to us today, the purpose of it, and how we're to yield to it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have a seat. So I, uh, I graduated from Fresno State University. Uh, for those of you who don't know that school, it, it's real sense, the Harvard of the San Joaquin Valley. <laughs> I was a... People say they were a student athlete. I was more of an athlete. I, I survived being a student. Um, it, but it did have a huge uh, formulation in my Christian walk. Uh, I came to, to be discipled there and have a foundation in my Christian walk that would lead to this day as I stand before you, a man who took time to pour into my life. Um, while I was at Fresno State, um, I, I swam and played water polo, and I coached. I coached a high school there, Fresno High School, in water polo, and um, to make money, I, I, would, I would house sit. And uh, there was a, a man who owned a vineyard, and he asked me to house sit. And I said, I don't know how to run a vineyard. He says, I got workers that can do that. You just take care of the house. And, and in the days, I would walk out with, with some of these workers, and I would ask them questions, and I would inquire. And I'd even ask him. He, he grew wine grapes. And uh, it was fascinating because you just see this verdant green in the spring and then you'd see the grapes come out. And, but in the winter, especially in the late fall, when the leaves would start to fall, they'd just come in and they would just, they would just cut these vines, these vineyards down to just stubs. And it just seemed to me they were destroying their, their own crops. And he said, no, no, you, you'll see, it'll, it'll all come back and it's amazing. And he, he would, they would trim them back, and then uh, they, they would produce these unbelievable grapes, and they would just be hanging from the vines. And in his backyard, he had a, a patio with a trellis, and uh, he had a couple of vines on the trellis, and they, they'd taken over the trellis, and, and grapes were hanging down at the season because it was in the harvest season when I was watching the house, and, and, and they, were, they were in the trellis. And when you'd walk out into the vineyard and you'd take a grape, you could taste it, and it was delicious. But the vines on the trellis were just awful. And he said, well, I never pruned these. And, and these are almost wild. And they, I wanted it more for cover and for shade than I wanted it for its fruit. And you could see the difference in the quality of the fruit. This was inedible. No, nobody wanted it. And these were delicious. And he gave me a lesson on pruning. And he gave me a lesson on vines. And F.B. Meyer uh, also kind of got a lesson in it as well. He commented that 
and you can see this if you see young saplings, little tiny uh, grape plants. Uh, they're weak, and, and they have to be held up. And, and when they send out their vines, those have to have a place to go, or they just fall on the, the ground, and they get rot, and they get disease. They have to find a trellis, or they have to find wire, or they have to find a post. You see how my hands are? A, a, a vineyard, a grape plant, needs to be held up. It, it, it needs to be secured and bound. And, and the picture that F.B. Meyer, I've never heard one better, he says, when in the spring, the grace of the green vine makes all the land lovely, and the shoots begin to wind and wave into the blue air, the vine dresser comes in with pruning hook and shears and strips it bare of all of its innocent pride. Nor is that all. Even in the vintage, it is not allowed to glory in the result of the year. The bunches are torn down and trodden in the wine press while the vine stands stripped and desolate. So it has always been. The church has always, but at an infinite cost to herself, been instrumental in promoting the well-being of the world. Christ's people have always been a suffering people, and it is an exact proportion to their anguish that they have enriched mankind. Let me say that again and pay attention to it. Christ's people have always been a suffering people, and it is in an exact proportion to their anguish that they have enriched mankind. They have saved others, but not themselves. The red stream of blood that has vitalized the world has flown from their broken hearts. He writes a poem, he says, Measure thy life by loss instead of gain. Not by the wine drunk, but by the wine poured forth. For love's strength standeth in love's sacrifice, and whoso suffers most has most to give. The vine branch that has no wealth of purple clusters is good for nothing. Salt, which is savorless, is fit for neither the land nor the dunghill. Vine branches that bear no fruit are cast into the fire. Fertilizer is necessary to make fruit grow. The plant must engage itself in the filth of the world. More than most plants, it needs a husband or a vine dresser. It cannot stand upright like other fruit trees, but requires a skillful hand to guide its pliant branches along the, this says espaliers, I, I just say the, the guiding wires, or to then twine them into the trellis work. It suggests a true thought of the appearance presented to the world by Christ in his church. And then he finally writes, and I'm almost finished, he says, the story of the vine, how it is tied to a stake, and if the arms stretch out, it is but crosswire. They are also forced and bound. Thus it was with Christ, never following his own way, but bound to the imperative that he must obey the will of the Father. He yielded to the cross as a willing sufferer, and so it has been with his followers, not strong to stand alone, but always yielded to the Father's will, that he should lead them to a cross, if needs be, to persecution and shame, if this would better serve his purpose to a Gethsemane, if that were the only gate to life. Yield thyself to the loving hands. They may lead thee afar from the original purpose, twisting thee in and out of many a contortion and fixing thee with nail and fastening, trailing thee over the wall and drooping thy clusters to the hands of strangers. Nevertheless, be sure to let him have his way with you. This is necessary for the accomplishment of the Father's purpose. In this passage of Scripture, we see that the believers are the ones that are the fruit-bearing branches and that Jesus is, he is, 
he is the stub. This is, this, is from, this is the plant, and we are the vine, and we're to be the fruit-bearing branches. The Father is the vine dresser. And when we see this picture, what is the purpose of John 15? We find at the conclusion in verse 8 where it says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Much fruit. So you will be my disciples. But fascinating to me is that we see in verse 5 when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now we go through life and there are things I can do apart from Christ. Now granted, he keeps my heart beating and my lungs moving, but I'm talking anything of eternal value that produces fruit. What is fruit? Fruit is for others. Fruit is sustaining. Fruit is sweet. Fruit is pleasant. Fruit draws people. Fruit is satiating. And, and, and it brings the joy of life. And yet, I can do a number of things that don't produce fruit. I know how to barbecue. I know how to read. I, 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 I can walk. I can preach a sermon. You can do a number of things that have no eternal value. You say, well, doesn't a sermon have eternal value? Not if I'm not abiding in the Lord. It's an exercise in futility. It's entertainment. The church has become a place of entertainment. We, we do everything apart from Christ. We don't abide in him. Our, our church has become a place of dead vines, or dead branches, excuse me. Christ is the vine, we're the branches. And, and, we, and the church becomes a place of dead branches. There's no fruit on them anymore. We say, well, last year there was fruit on them. Every year that they produce fruit, these, these unbelievable branches produce beautiful fruit. And the minute that people come and take the fruit from these branches and they crush them and they make them juice or they make them wine or, or they, they sell them as table grapes. To, and, and, and they'll be touched and handled by people that, that the, the branches know, have no idea about. Sent all over the world. And some, will, some of its fruit will be used Misused. For parties. Yet, when the fruit is gone, the next season comes and you say, but I want to use the branches from last year. And the vine dresser says, no. You don't produce as much fruit. I've got to take those branches from last year and cut them. But it was such a profitable season last year. And maybe something in your Christian life worked last year, but God wants to prune it this year. We, we hold on to things, and we call it tradition. And we, and we think somehow this is producing fruit. No, it, it, it makes us an enclave that, that cannot relate to the world. We think it's about us. We think it's supposed to minister to us. Our lives are to be ministered to others. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was back in the tent days with Chuck Smith, and I, I, don't, I never was there. But I am so tired of people saying that. I want to see 10 days today. Where's the fruit today? Don't give me your old branches. Those go in the fire for the barbecue on Sunday. Where, where is the fruit today? Where is the fruit today? And, and the church becomes insular. We think it's for us. We think it's supposed to be for our comfort. We're to feed others. We're to be a blessing to others. Christ makes it abundantly clear. And when he's speaking, 
they, they had spent time and now they're traveling and he probably in the course of this in the last 24 hours of his life they've probably gone by a vineyard and every Jew understood the concept of the vineyard they actually through a number of passages of scripture Isaiah 5 Psalm 80 Jeremiah 2 they knew that they were God's branches and God's vine they knew that they were God's chosen people they knew they were and so this illustration to any Jew was very clear. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 12, that Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and, and he gave them a parable of the wicked vine dressers. And he said, he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower, and he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. And now at vintage time, at harvest time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit. From the, from the vineyard and from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant and they threw stones at him and wounded him in, in his head and sent him away shamefully treated. And again, they sent another and they killed him and many others, beaten, uh, some killing and, and, uh, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of his vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? How will he come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others? Have you not even read the scriptures? The stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone, speaking of Christ. The chief cornerstone is what builds the edifice. It's what everything is aligned on. It's a right angle. And this is their conclusion. And listen, every Jew knew this was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. And then verse 12 says, the Pharisees sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Every Jew knew the concept of the vineyard. They were an agrarian culture, but more importantly, they understood vines. They understood grapes. They understood wine. And when Jesus gives this parable, they know that their guilty is charged. And, and here you have Christ making it very clear to his disciples. He said to them simply, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. If you're a Christian and you're bearing fruit, guess what? Pruning looks awful. They, they just go to town on the plant and they stub it. And, and, and as Christians, we just, we hate that. Lord, but I really want the, oh, please don't take that, oh. You know? Woe is me. Life is so hard. God's got me in this, uh, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Everything I did is just gone, burned up in the fire. And then the season's coming. What? What is this? Oh. Now, it takes time. I have been praying constantly for this, and it just doesn't come to fruition. I just feel like God's not listening. I don't know about you, but if you took a cup of coffee and you went out to this stub in the winter, in Fresno, in the fog, Fresno's awful. <laughs> and you go out with your cup of coffee and you put a stool down and you just sit and you look at that stub and you're like 
Nothing. <laughs> but, but come spring, you're like, where did that come from? And it's almost like... And it's fascinating. And then grapes start coming out. And you're, where, what? You were dead. And I have to tell you something about what the, what the vine dresser understands. Is that when you prune the plant, the nutrients don't go to the dead areas. The church spends its time wasting its time on things of the past. Not to forget so great a cloud of witnesses. Not to forget those things. But if you want to make them essentials to the Christian faith, there's very few essentials. The deity of Christ, the inerrancy of God's word, the atonement. I mean, but you you want to make it Hawaiian shirts because Chuck wore them? Snip that bad boy. These are things that, that are irrelevant to the gospel. And, and the pruning that occurs, and you see this, one of the things that the vine dresser understands is, is when you take away last year's branches, the plant can control its energy to put it into the roots. And the deeper the root, the stronger the plant and the healthier the crop. And they see that. And the vibrancy of these new vines coming out is fascinating. And this is us. You want to get to a place where you can put your Christian walk on autopilot. God's not interested in that. God wants you not just to bear fruit, much fruit. Why? Because it glorifies the Father. You're not on this earth to hold dead branches that reflect the past. You're on this earth to pr- produce as much fruit as possible. And the only way to, uh, to produce that fruit is to abide in Christ. Abide. This is what's so critical to us as Christians. God calls us to abide. The word abide is, is listed 10 times in verses 4 through 10. It's, it's a word of, of critical importance. And Jesus, this idea of abiding, it's the key to bearing fruit. Abide means to remain. If you're not spending time with the Lord, if you're not abiding in his love, if, if you're not abiding in his word, there's not going to be much fruit. You can tell me all day long that you're a grapevine, and if I don't see any grapes, I, I'm an orange tree, I swear. Well, there's no oranges. Well, I am one. The purpose of an orange tree is to produce oranges. purpose of a vine is to produce grapes, fruit. That's why we are here, fruit. The idea of abiding or remaining is a dependency. Believing that Christ is your very source of life. You, you, you can go through the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all fruits of the Spirit. And, and you know what's neat about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, it draws people. People like to be around you. They like to be around you. They like to feed upon the fruit of your life, because their life has no joy. Their life has no love. Their life has no peace. Their life has no patience. Their life has no kindness. They don't understand self-control. They look at you, and they go, where is that? I'm, I'm, I'm plugged in. I'm attached. I'm attached to the vine, Jesus Christ. I'm abiding in him. I can of my own self do nothing. These branches are worthless and dead unless they abide in the vine. 
You can go around life with the name Christ and, and just have dead branches because you haven't allowed the Father to come and prune you. No, God, I don't want to lose that. I want that. This is very special to me. I don't want to move, and I don't want to go over there. I think of all the missionaries because of a husband and wife team that one just didn't want to lose the comfort of. And, and, and we, we even idolize marriage in our culture. And it was the Apostle Paul who said, the man who is married, let him act as though he's not married. And you're like, what? What he's saying is, your, your whole purpose in life is to make your spouse happy. And he says, my job is to make you serve God. As a husband and wife team, don't idolize marriage. Well, we just want to find the deepest love possible. And we love to go to conferences and we read all the books together. And we just, we just feel this, great, but where's the fruit? You don't idolize marriage. You abide in Christ. And if one spouse is called to go... And, and you're sitting there with dead branches, but all of my memories are here. I know it's hard, but welcome to the world. The world, we're here to bear much fruit. And that fruit is not for us. I've never seen, I've never seen the branches or the vine where the fruit go, oh, that's delicious. Let me just get a bite. We have our sustenance. That's for the hands of the world to come and pull that off and go, this is joy like I've never seen before. It tastes so, so different. This is self-control of which I've, I've never experienced. This, is, this peace is delicious. This gentleness is, is uncanny and the kindness is so refreshing. This generosity and this faithfulness. And the world is feeding upon you, blessed by you. It's not so you can go in my fruit, beautiful. I am so special. Don't you touch that. That's only for me. We produce fruit for others. There's four kinds of branches. Those that do not bear fruit, those that bear fruit, those that bear more fruit, and those that bear much fruit. Those that don't bear any fruit, fire. Those that bear fruit need to bear more fruit, and those who bear more fruit need to bear much fruit. God wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to bless other lives. He wants us so that we are such that people can taste the kindness and taste the goodness and taste the faithfulness and the patience. The problem with Israel is in Hosea 10, it says Israel empties its vine and brings forth fruit for themselves. The church isn't for you. I mean... The church causes us to abide in the vine so that our branches may be fruitful. We're tied up. The Father has his way with us. He prunes the things that need to go. We yield. We can fight him, and then we just don't bear any fruit. The Father's the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He works with the branches. He does the cultivating, the spading, the pruning. But Jesus is the only source of life. Abide in me and you'll produce much fruit. Why? Christ didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. In the passage of the scripture, when he says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. As the fathers love me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that your joy may remain in, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So that those, those, pieces of fruit are just bursting with joy 
People want to come up and go, what is it? Why, why do you have so much fruit in your life? This is delicious. I love being around you. Most people don't want to be around you. I'm talking to me. <laughs> you're bitter. You're sour. You're awful. You're mean. You're short-tempered. You're caustic. You're selfish. You're loveless. You're angry. It's not fruit. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants anything to do with that. We've come to give. For God so loved the world, He gave. We even look at that and we struggle with giving. And the Lord says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. How did He love us? He got tied to the to the trellis. They stripped all of his fruit. Shamefully hung on a cross so that all of you could feed. And me too. Upon the fruit of his life. They cut him. And they bound him. The world has never been the same. It's the only source of fruit the world has ever known. It's the only source of joy the world has ever known. I think about the application of the text this morning. I can think of a number of applications. You know, the two men that I sat with about the football program, the, the man that yelled at them was, was awful and the threats that he invoked. But these two men know the Lord. And they went to apologize to the man that insulted them. And they went to seek peace with patience. They went to give this man that fruit and to love him. A friend loves at all times, even when they're hard, difficult. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us while we were yet sinners. They took the time to go sit and meet with that man and impart to him words of patience. A word fitly spoken is like apples, fruit, apples of gold and settings of silver. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Gentleness is a fruit. This man's heart was melted. These two men said, let's go deeper. Let's, let's impart this fruit. Let's feed our kids so that they can have the same characteristics. What can we do to make the, the community blessed by the fruit that, that is flowing through our veins from the source of Christ. I got news for you. You abide in the Lord and, and the vine dresser knows that there's got to be a lot of fertilizer. All you are going to have is flowers and no fruit. The only way that plant works is a lot of manure. And that's why Jesus even said to Peter, he said, I, I, I don't need to wash all of you. You've, you've, you've been justified, just as if you'd never sinned. I, I do need to wash your feet because they've been in the world, and, and I sanctify you by the washing of the water of the word. But get out there and get your feet dirty again. Amen. Go out there in the highways and byways and get dirty. Because with that manure and abiding in me, there will be fruit, because you're going to understand how to reach those people. You're going to understand how to minister. You're going to get in the middle of it. Well, Christians don't participate in sports. Yes, they do. All things are permissible. Not all things are profitable. 
This is profitable. A chance to reach a generation of young people. Well, I'm so busy. Quit being selfish. Fruit is selfless. Feed them. You need more energy? Ask God. Ask anything. And I'll give it to you. In accordance with my will. Do you think he wants to feed people? You bet your sweet bippy he does. Yes. Politics is dirty. Great, get your feet dirty. You have the opportunity to go in and give these folks some fruit of goodness and joy and patience. And in the midst of it, you're going to get manure flung on you. And somebody's going to be snippy and say something to you and just try to irk you. And, and you're going to respond with joy. And they're going, what is wrong with you? I've got lots of fruit. Help yourself. I'm not offended. There's nowhere I can go. I'm pretty much tied here. <laughs> This is where the fathers put me. So feed, feed away. I, I, they're lovely. I wish I could have one. I, I, I'm going to probably frustrate some folks. Bring it, thanks. Yeah, a friend is someone who, who agrees with you that, 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 that the person that wronged you needs a beating. A good friend is the one who comes along with you while you're holding the baseball back and, oh, somebody's going to get a beating. And that's, I'm, just, I'm not sure how that works. That's a world's definition of a friend. Uh, I think a biblical definition is that when the whole world goes out, they come in. And Christ is a friend. He says he no longer calls us servants, but friends. He teaches us how to give, how to serve. And when I say offending, I, it's in a good way because... I, I'm processing this, and it's not complete, completed yet. So if, I, I would just say, receive what I'm about to say like you're eating a, an Albertson's chicken, a whole Albertson's chicken. You're going to eat the meat and just spit out the bones, okay? So just see what God's speaking to you in relation to this, and, and formulate in your own mind as well. But I have to tell you, personally, okay, personally, this isn't gospel, this is Rob McCoy speaking. Personally, I struggle with boycotts from the Christian community. I know that Starbucks supports Planned Parenthood and abortion. And Christians are no longer to go there and don't go to Target anymore. Okay. Do not bring your fruit into this store. Do not allow these people to eat upon the branches of your life. I personally would want my kids to work in a Starbucks and a Target. You just, you just read the, the pastoral epistles and Paul is speaking to people working in Caesar's household, Nero's household, by the way. My feeling is go in and give them some fruit. It, we, we think as Christians we isolate ourselves and build a big fence. And, and even some of you are going to allow some of the fruit to come over the fence. Why not just give them the fruit? Get out there. Get dirty. Get the fertilizer. Make the fruit sweet and get these people hungry. Get involved in everything. I'll add another thing about boycotting. We reject Starbucks because they're... And, and they're... I'm pro-life. 
And you know my position, and you know how I stand. And I want it ended. I want abortion ended in America, period. You say, well, you're funding, you're, you're helping support an organization that... So the best way is just to pull your money? Why not step in with your influence? You're no longer a stockholder. You can no longer speak at these events. That's why there's very few Christians in politics. They get so discouraged, they quit. Everyone in that room needs joy, needs patience, needs to feed upon the fruit that God is giving you. We don't isolate ourselves and, and, and insulate ourselves. You know, you know what's interesting about Starbucks? They provide health care to all their employees. I'd say that's a pretty cool biblical principle. Out of the fruit of what they produce, they take care of their workers. They're not forced by a union. They willingly do it. That's a biblical principle. They don't even have a clue that they're applying it. And it would be nice if there was a Christian there to be able to say, you know what you're doing here? It's a really cool biblical principle. <laughs> really? I thought you people hated us. Where are the Christians abiding in Jesus and providing fruit in that section it, it, it's for the world and when you go in there you're going to realize that some of the stuff that you apply in church last year doesn't work in Starbucks this year and God's going to go Whoosh. when I ran for office I started to realize that you can say things from the pulpit that do not work out there in order to reach people with the fruit of the gospel Whoosh. And all of a sudden, you start to see that your vine can survive in this area. And people will start to be drawn to the fruit. Plant a vineyard over there, and one over there, and one over there. You are uniquely equipped to abide, remain attached to Christ, feeding upon His Word. I cannot survive in the city hall. I can't survive in this community. I can't survive in life without being absolutely abiding in Christ. I can't give of myself because I'm just... Listen, the Christian's flesh is just as awful as, as the pagan's flesh. It's just as awful. And it's only when I'm tied and bound willingly by the Father, abiding in Christ, that I have anything that the world can remotely consider valuable in an eternal sense. I must abide in Christ for the sake of of myself and others because I can of my own self do nothing. And I think about all the stuff the church does apart from Christ that we think is spectacular. And you know what it is? It's a bunch of green leaves going out in the spring. Lots of pretty flowers and no fruit. Oh, but it's so spectacular. Did you see the lights and the sounds and the... They had fog machines coming out. It was unbelievable. And it was just... It was a visual spectacle the whole time. How's your devotion going? I don't do that. I get my feeding when I come to the visual spectacle. And the Lord says, I'm making disciples. What's the disciple? Bound? Pruned? Yielded? abiding and fruitful how fruitful much many moosen lots (laughs) 
What's, what are the dead branches? What are you holding on to that is making you bitter to the world? And you just don't want to go feed them. Now you have to be shrewd, mind you. You know, there are things that are biblical principles civically that I am focused on and I have an end point and a goal. And I want to get everybody there. But in the process, I'm working with all these people here that don't believe that. And, and the way you get them there is you let them eat the fruit of your life while you're with them. And then they start to see it. And they focus on that. I'll tell you how you don't do it. Just get behind your insulated wall and decry them. And don't, wanna, don't take them anywhere and don't feed them anything you have. Now, there are certain principles that have to be applied. But we have to know that we have created a group of folks that are drawn to the fruit that we fed them so that we can reason with them when it comes time to make decisions that would save the community. The church is decimated in Europe. And you've got millions of refugees pouring into Europe from Islamic nations. And first of all, they're not even equipped to feed them spiritually. So what's happening is it's an influx of influence that is going to devastate all of Europe. They, they don't even know. And, and, and in a sense, they've got ideology and they've, they've, they've got anger and they, and, and they have purpose and they're all unified behind that process of, of annihilating Europe. And the church is ill-equipped to, to do anything about it. They haven't, they haven't fed their citizenry, let alone prepared to even deal with immigrants. And, and we've got a mess on our hands. And, I, and I, I read about Winston Churchill. He probably had one of the greatest Christian worldviews. And he never was affiliated with a church. He knew the principles because he abided in Christ and understood the end game and the point and, and with wisdom and discernment and diligence and, and patience he led them in that direction they, they ostracized him to the back of parliament never to speak again after the, the issue with the Dardanelles uh, excuse me Gallipoli he just stayed in the back and God pruned him and humbled him and nobody wanted anything, and he, he had all kinds of ability, but finally, it was in this process that he started. And you know what he reflected back on? Was his nanny. He called, used to call her womb. She was, she was a disciple of, of, of the great revival, Charles Spurgeon. And it was, it was her life that influenced his. He fed upon the fruit of her life to be able to change the world and save it. We need to be people who give and give wisely because we're abiding and God gives us wisdom. And we pray and God will guide and direct us. I just don't want the church to become insular. 
I don't want the church to come to a place where we just think it's about us being entertained every Sunday and I just have to raise my family and get my Noah's Ark with my kids while, you know, I float above the fray and everyone drowns beneath me. That to me is not what God intended in this passage. We're to to let others feed upon us as we're yielded to the Father abiding in Christ so that we can bear much fruit. And the fertilizer at the base of our feet is feeding us and giving us wisdom and the people coming and grabbing that fruit we know not and we know not what they'll do with it. They may abuse it, they may intoxicate themselves with it, but ultimately there'll be some who'll be drawn by it and their lives will be transformed through it. That is our call. That's John 15. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that the vine branch that has no wealth of purple clusters is good for nothing. Salt which is savorless. It's fit for neither the land nor the dunghill. Lord, vine branches that bear no fruit are cast into the fire. And I love that poem, Lord, that we measure our life by loss instead of gain, not by the wine that is drunk, but by the wine that's been poured forth. For love's strength stands in love's sacrifice, and whoso suffers most has most to give. And Lord, it just seems that the church has come to a place where the last thing we want to do is suffer for the sake of others. We think that a church is a place where we come to be entertained and comforted and insulated and pampered and that we're we're going to make ourselves the center of it that if I don't like it I'm leaving and yet you've, you've called us to the church that we would we would encourage one another onto good works bear much fruit serving others that we would pour our life out that we would sacrifice that we'd be pruned and so God I pray that you would shake us up and send us out that throughout this entire community and every vestige of it the vine of Christ and the branches of our lives would be feeding the citizens and they'd be drawn by the love and the joy and the peace goodness and the patience and the gentleness and the self-control and they'd want more of it help us God I pray according to your riches in Christ we praise you and we thank you in Jesus name Amen